If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're looking at verses 2 through 4. Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So when we read verses like that, we know one thing for sure, that the goal of Christianity is to keep people from having fun. People should not be able to enjoy what is commonly called good times. And when we come to a passage like this, that becomes very clear. And what we have today is the second in the series, where as we're in Solomon's uh, writings here in Ecclesiastes, uh, continuing our, our series for the summer, the wisdom uh, from the Word of God. And this is the second of the It Is Better teachings as we continue our Summer of Wisdom series. It's somewhat fitting that uh, seeing that in two days there will be considerable feasting and celebrations. And a good question we could ask in regard to that is, what do we learn? What will we learn from the celebrations? Personally, I like to think of the 4th of July as Lee Greenwood's Christmas. For like Santa Claus, one time a year, people are interested. I really thought that would get a better result or perception than that. But see, I think he's on the waning end of things. What do we learn? Maybe some will watch the History Channel or Fox Nation streaming service and pick up a tidbit of information regarding the war or the time leading up to the war for independence from the King of England. What, do we, what will we learn from the fireworks? Outside from the fact that they scare our pets. We pay large sums of money to watch things go bang and burn up. It would seem by now somebody would have come up with reusable fireworks. But then what would China do? It is quite ironic that we celebrate U.S. independence by using fireworks from China. And so we celebrate our freedom with products from one of the less free nations on earth. But they are entertaining and can be quite spectacular. Some people say, well, it reminds us of the rocket's red glare and the bombs bursting in air. Which, of course, had nothing to do with the War of Independence, but was written in the War of 1812. By the way, just as a little bit of trivia, the original... Star Spangled Banner 
had five verses, not just one, which we commonly think of. We might learn during the next two days <clears throat> that charcoal is better than gas, but now we're being told that the frying pan is even better for hamburgers. So here before us, Solomon takes us two places. And he does that in order to prove a point, to make a comparison, to show which one is better. Better in regard to our souls. The two places are the house of mourning and the house of feasting. He leaves no mystery as to which one he says is better because he begins it all by stating it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Now, notice too, as we begin this, he's saying, he's not saying that we stay there, but that we go to it, which means we visit it. And we have two houses and we have two gathering places. First, the house of mourning, similar to what we might call a funeral home or parlor, at one time referred to as the terming place in the old English. As a terminal place, we would say today, a place where a dead corpse is laid out for its burial, place where mourning the dead takes place in a concentrated manner. It also can include the cemetery, as was often the case that the Jews would mourn for a period of several days, which would include the place of interment. And we can think of the death of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Lazarus had been dead four days when Jesus arrived. And we read that many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So we have that picture of, of extended times of, of mourning. In fact, in, in some places, there were people who were paid mourners. That's what they did for a living. But here in this setting, in this funeral home kind of setting, Conversations were generally serious. People often considered their own mortality and perhaps even the brevity of life and even questions as to what happens after death. A place where good and necessary topics are talked about and thought of, which goes so counter to where we are today. In fact, we don't want to talk about it as far as the nation goes and the culture around us and, and even into, the, into Europe. We don't want to talk about someone's death. We don't want to have funerals anymore. We want to have a celebration of life. Talk about their life. And, 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 the, and there can be good things in talking about their life, but most of it is used to deal with the idea of, or deal away from the idea of death because the further we get away from a scriptural understanding of things the more death becomes mysterious and troublesome 
and something uh, we really don't want to uh, discuss. But this is contrasted with the house of feasting. And as we speak of this, let it be a, understood that when we look into Scripture, we can find two types of feasting, two houses of feasting, if you will. One would be a sinful type of feasting, and the other would be a God-approved house of feasting. What Solomon is addressing here is what could be the, the sinful area, or at least the mindless house of feasting. It was a place that Job's children would go to. And in the book of Job, in chapters 1 and verses 4 through 5, we find that he prayed for his children when they went to the house of feasting. <clears throat> and why? Well, he said, that it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So this Job did regularly, which meant his children were regularly into the house of feasting. It is a place that we could commonly say there is mindless mirth that takes place and merriment and places where it's easy for them to forget God, places where they acted like he did not exist. So in verse 4 of chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, Solomon will call it the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. <clears throat> the house of mirth. The word mirth is sometimes equated with the idea of uh, glee, the idea of amusement, high spirits, boisterous hilarity, and uh, more to the point here, it's being pointed to an irreligious atmosphere. Fueled by strong drink, and as one of the Puritans put it, frothy conversations. Or as one other put it, idle talk and impure songs. So all we have to do to understand what he's getting at in this point is look also to our own time. We really don't hear of murders and mayhem at funeral homes. But we sure do hear of it in nightclubs. So for a moment, I want to take us through a little scriptural tour. Looking at events of scripture. And these events all have one thing in common, and that is they happened during times of feasting. So the first day, First thing we look at in scripture is in the days of Noah, <clears throat> just before the flood. We are told that the people were eating and drinking. Now, you look and say, well, that's kind of normal. But what's being referred to is that eating and drinking is mean they were feasting all the time. Nothing but festivals taking place. Perpetual feasting right up to and even perhaps a little after Noah entered into the ark. So 
A feast is going on while the flood is taking place. Then after the flood, we find that even Noah himself has a feast. And he himself ends up getting drunk. And that night ends up with two of his sons being cursed. We can look at the exodus in the wilderness. Two events in particular come to mind. There is the time when Moses was up on the mountain and the people demanded that there be something sculptured that they could worship. And so there was the day of the golden calf and there were celebrations and the feastings and the feastings turned to orgies. And it ended up with thousands dying. Or how out as they went from place to place in the wilderness and started to cry about the manna and their daily provisions, God gave them quail in great numbers, which they feasted on. And the people were struck with a very great plague. And we can ask, where were Job's children, his sons and daughters, when the wind came and collapsed the house? Once again, at a feast. Where was Nabal? What was he doing when his heart died within him? You might remember Nabal. He was the one that refused to, to give David and his, his army uh, to provide food for them and the protection they had given. He kept it all to himself. He feasted after the sheep shearing was done. But in the middle of his feast, his heart died within him. What were the Philistines doing there in their temple when Samson pushed away the supporting columns and brought the temple down? And what of Ammon, David's first son? Didn't Absalom's servants slay him during a feast? What about what was taking place when the son of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, saw the writing on the wall? Another feast. There are more, but I'll just go with one more. What was going on the night John the Baptist was beheaded? Again, it was a feast. These sinful feasts. But there are such things as godly feasts. Abraham prepared one for his, his three visitors. There were feasts of hospitality. Feasts that God has ordained for us in which we are to remember his goodness. And so for the nation of the people of Israel for the Jews there were several feasts during the course of the year that they were brought to they would have to each year at different times because of different things whether it be harvest or or some other reason where they would thank God and have a feast 
remembering the God who had provided all things for us. But as I said earlier, in our current culture, the, the house of mourning is to be avoided as, as much as we possibly can. Last year, year 2022, our country spent a total on entertainment that was $37 billion. $37 billion were spent on entertainment, which equates to a household expenditure annually of $3,568 per household. Another way to look at it, it's 5.3% of household budgets. It's more that was, than was what was spent on clothing, just a little less than what was spent on health care. For the average American, there are 7.3 hours of screen time daily. 7.3 hours of screen time. We're not number one in that, though. You can take comfort that in South Africa, the average is over nine hours a day. And so the list of expenditures, housing comes first, transportation second, food third, insurance fourth, health care fifth, entertainment sixth, then clothing, then contributions, and education. Much, almost 99% of the programming that people are watching is mindless. Have you ever noticed with all the channels that are offered for you to look at, there's no funeral channel. We look at the other things that come to us on the screen. There are six companies that provide for us 91% of the, quote, news that we watch. So most of the programming is godless, and even that which is supposed to be religious programming is pretty much godless because they've got a God that doesn't exist. And even that which is supposed to be scientific leans more towards the spectacular and spectacular speculation. Ancient aliens, Bigfoot, haunted buildings and houses, our culture is so, uh, what would we say, saturated with the idea of entertainment that it filters into churches. I read of, of one, even a Southern Baptist church not too long ago that had a wrestling match during their service. And the other time, the preacher, pastor, whatever you want to call him, was dribbling a basketball during his sermon and taking shots. There are others where uh, 
someone who's dressed supposedly as the devil comes and there's a wrestling match and he beats back the devil. And there are other things too. The music in, in many places does, does not honor God. It does not follow the truth of Scripture. So the entertainment aspect has filtered in as well and people come with the idea that instead of being worship, we're going to be entertained. But this, it's a time for the church to do the opposite. The opposite of what the world does. To call people to a feast. In Sunday school, you can go into Jeremiah. And people look and they say, well, you know, Jeremiah, he's, he's talking to that culture. And so many times I've heard Jeremiah's words being used against the culture of America. That's not what he's speaking to. You understand that Jeremiah is speaking to who are those who are supposed to be God's people, those who are supposed to be the religious people. And they're acting in ways that were just beyond our mind's comprehension as far as what they were allowing, the things that we were doing, the things that they were encouraging, and he's attacking them. But we've got so many people saying, see, that's what America... No, you need to look back and say, hey, look at what we're doing in the church. I mentioned there that some, some people got really upset because Chick-fil-A hired a person that was going to be in charge of, uh, of uh, diversity. So oh, we got a boycott, boycott, damn. And yet the biggest church attended in America is led by a heretic. And nobody says we got to boycott that church. In fact, they say let's go. And that's part of the problem because we allow churches to do whatever they think they, they ought to do and go as far away as they want to, but yet we're going to stand in line against a company that hires somebody that we don't like. Shouldn't we be more concerned with what's taught in the, pu- in the pulpits than what is... Well, who is hired, hired in a corporate situation? <coughs> Excuse me. It's time for the church to do the opposite of the world. It's time for the church to call people to a feast, a spiritual feast, a spiritual feast for the soul, where the mind receives truth and the heart is strangely warmed. This is a place where there's both the morning and after the morning, there's the joy. Yes, we are brought to mourn by the word of God, perhaps by our sins, and we mourn over that. But then we are told of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us, and then joy will follow. There is for us a God-ordained spiritual feast, and it happens 52 times a year at least. One of the things that people who don't know how to handle Scripture quickly point to, and and, uh, I've been in meetings where people would ask me, what's your vision for the church? 
What's your vision? What do you mean? Well, you know, the Bible says without a vision, the people perish. So, so what's your vision for the church? The problem is when you ask that question, you're pointing to the fact that you're not clear on what the Bible is saying. Because literally, it is without the word. The word from God, the people perish. It's not an idea of, well, you just dream something up for the future of the church. No, like we're some kind of Fortune 500 company, and we're trying to stay ahead of the trends. Without the word of God, the people perish. Without faithful shepherds, the church is greatly troubled and open to attacks by the wolves. I am not against entertainment. We all should have times, perhaps, that we find good and decent entertainment. But I'm afraid in the midst of all the mindlessness that we get carried away and we're like, we feel like sometimes we need to be like Job, praying for those who are so mindlessly being taken away from thoughts of God. And so as we talk about independence, maybe the biggest independence we need today is not from a king of England. but from our addiction to screens. Let's stand together for prayer.